Welcome to the Earn Your Edge podcast. I'm Corey Lumberg from Altus Performance, and this week we are joined by Jimmy Walker, former winner of the PGA Championship and a really sharp guy who's achieved a lot while overcoming a fair share of adversity in his career. So our objective in this conversation was to just listen and learn to the wisdom of a tenured PGA Tour player who's seen a lot and serves as a great model of grit and perseverance. It took him about 180 events on the PGA Tour before getting his first victory. And then in a very short span, he just opened up the floodgates with five more victories, including a major championship, representing the U.S. and Ryder Cup and President's Cup teams, and really elevated himself into one of the best players in the world. And even while he ran into some pretty serious health issues. So some really good mindset lessons to learn from his story. We could all use an example of toughness and resilience at the moment. And Jimmy offers a lot of that in this conversation. So first a word from Total Golf Trainer, and then please enjoy episode 64 of the Earn Your Edge podcast with Jimmy Walker. The Total Golf Trainer line of products are designed to provide instant feedback for golfers of all skill levels to help solve a wide variety of swing issues. And we haven't really seen an issue that it can't solve from path issues to improving club face control and even body mechanics. Pretty much any issue that you have, the Total Golf Trainer can help. The 3.0 kit is the first multi-tool training aid that is completely custom to your golf swing with the easy-to-use adjustable training rods that can be attached to your club or your body, and you can increase or decrease the difficulty level so anyone from juniors to beginners to pros will all benefit. We've enjoyed getting creative to find all the different ways that we can use the Total Golf Trainer, and they've got some great videos on their website that show it in use. So to learn more and watch those videos on how to improve your game, with the Total Golf Trainer, visit TotalGolfTrainer.com or find them on social media at Total Golf Trainer. But now, on to our episode. So, to be current, I'm really interested in understanding how you crossed paths with that, what looked like, looked a bit like to be a six-foot rattlesnake on your Instagram <laughs> yesterday. Yeah, we like to go do like ride-arounds, you know, it's about 6,000 acres here where we're at, where we've got a lease at, and so it was a pretty day. It wasn't pretty, it was just cool, and South Texas right now, if you can get a nice cool day, that's it's pretty special, so... We were riding around and kind of walking around, and that sucker just kind of popped out, and we had a couple of guns with us, and <laughs> so we ended up getting it, and it's currently in a bag in the freezer. We took some good pics with it, and we'll go get her skinned up and dried out, and I don't know what we'll do with it. I've got one at home here. I'll tell a story real quick. Uh, I was at Augusta. This is back in 2016, and my wife had our daughter on um, some other excursion. I'm not too sure what they were doing, so... Our then seven-year-old son had to uh, hang out with his grandfather up in Bowie, Texas, and uh, they've got a ranch out there. And unbeknownst to us, uh, so no approval from dad or mum, uh, grandfather took Callan on a rattlesnake roundup when he was seven years old. And he proudly came home uh, with one of those skins, one of those uh, snake skins you're talking about. It's pretty wild. This is a, it was a really big snake. I mean, I've never seen one that big. I mean, it was every bit of six foot. I mean, it's just a monster. Mm -hmm. Another interest of yours that I want to pull on here, you're talking to two guys that uh, know a good amount of go about golf, but know nothing about long-range rifle shooting. So I guess to help us out, I want to give you a, a set of conditions so you can contrast the two for us. So those conditions being you've got a 20-mile-an-hour crosswind off the left and a 10 degree seven to 10-degree elevation change. 
So which is more difficult, the 600-yard rifle shot to the 8-inch plate that you've posted on Instagram before, or maybe we'll use as a proxy for the golf shot the 230-yard long iron on hole 16 at uh, Royal Port Rush last year? Well, the golf shot is definitely a lot harder. There's so many more variables in golf to account for, and there's so much of the human element that goes into you know, creating the perfect golf shot. And as far as rifle shooting goes, you know, a lot of it is just pretty simple math and science. You know, gravity is going to do to a bullet what it's going to do to a bullet. And wind, if you can guess the wind right, is going to do to a bullet what it's going to do to a bullet out to a certain range. So and all the stuff that I've been doing, come to find out if you just put a little time and research into it, a 600-yard rifle shot to an 8-inch plate isn't that hard, honestly. The 230-yard shot, 16 World Port Rush, you know, there's only a handful of players, you know, in the world that can hit that golf shot, you know what I mean? So the human element and all the variables and the, you know, I'm talking about the face angle, the club, if it's a centimeter this way, centimeter that way, I mean, it's, it's, game-changing. You know, there's a lot of different scenarios for shooting. Wind is everything and putting a shot on target. Obviously, the farther away you get, the more effect the wind's going to have on the bullet. And if you make wrong guesses, you can't hit the target. So it's still really difficult. I mean, is it? it then it comes down to ethical. Would, would you take a 600-yard shot on an animal in a 20-mile-an-hour wind? Like, you just really wouldn't do that. You know, it's funny in golf, the easiest shots are, are like straight downwind because it just, the ball flies straight. Well, straight downwind rifle shot, if it's blowing 20, it's really hard to hit targets because if you miss that wind judge a little bit, it's never just straight down. It's going to move that bullet one way or the other. And it's super difficult to hit shots straight into the wind and straight downwind. Uh, you'd rather have one straight off a nine o'clock wind because it's very easy to see and predict on those heavier crosswinds instead of straight in, straight down. Pretty wild. Hey, as I'm listening to your response there on the long range shooting, it's clear you've got a lot of technical knowledge. And I was listening to you on a podcast where you're discussing your your passion for astronomy. And I don't want to ask the same astronomy questions that I know you've been asked a million times. But what struck me there was similar, just your technical knowledge in that field was pretty mind blowing. And I'm curious if that maybe scientific inclination bleeds over to how you approach your golf and improvement, whether that's the analytics involved or just your technical improvement and how you're approaching your golf swing. You know, a lot of, a lot of it for me, for the astronomy stuff is yes, there's a technical part about understanding your gear and getting it all set up and getting it working properly and getting it fine tuning it as, as much as you can. And then once that's set up, you know, you can give, you can collect all of this data on these, objects you're taking let's for instance take you know like the sword of orion you know you can have all this data but if you don't have the artistic eye and the skill set to make something with that data that you collect you know it's kind of pointless so for me i think 85 percent of it is the artistic side and understanding color and seeing color and putting the correct colors out. That's where I get the most benefit. I've always been pretty artistic guy. I've always enjoyed drawing and doing some painting and stuff like that. And, you know, this, it really blends the art and the technical part of understanding programs like Photoshop. And there's another one called PixInsight that I use that really brings out these colors and brings out the image. Because you got to understand when you're pointing a telescope into the darkest parts of the sky at night, like there's really nothing for the 
camera chip to like pick up on. It's so faint and so dim. So you have to take 20 minute exposures to do that. It's like when you take your cell phone camera out and you try to take a picture in a dark room, you know, it, it really struggles because there's really no signal for the camera chip to grab onto. So that's why you've got to do really long exposures. And then when you get those final images, they're very dark. And then you have to use these programs to stretch the data out so you can see it. So it's pretty wild. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Still doing it too. Let's dive into some more golf specific stuff and an uncommon place that we start, but a place that I want to start with you is your career highlight reel. If you were uh, putting together a list of 10 shots that are memorable shots in your memory bank uh, that form your career highlight reel, what would be the first shot, the shot that you would open with as you're publishing this for the world to see? And what would be the final shot? It's so hard to go back that far, gosh. I'm on my 41 <laughs> now. I mean, that's a long time ago. I can remember, you know, one of the biggest shots that ever stood out and still to this day is I, it was, uh, we were at Disney and I was right on the 125 number last term of the year. And I was cruising and I hit a bad drive over on 17, ended up making like a double or triple. And then it came and I was like, that wasn't helpful at all. And I came down to, 18, I just missed the green to the right. I had a tough chip uphill into the grain, and then it crested and went downhill down grain on those grainy Bermuda greens. And I hit a good pitch to about, I don't know, six feet or something. And I knew just looking at the leaderboard and where I was at, I was like, if I miss this, there's zero chance I keep my card. And if I make it, I think I've got a really good shot. And I just center cut it. And turned out I got the 125th spot by about $1,000. That was huge. I mean, that's I think that maybe was what really started to propel my professional career. Like doing something like that was gigantic, right? We're talking 2009, right? Yes. If I could interrupt you before we go to the, the final shot of that highlight reel, because that putt on Disney stood out, especially in our research. And as I read more and more about that early part of your career, it seemed that there were more than one occasion where you kind of had your back against the wall and then you delivered a really successful performance, whether it be, you know, making part in the last hole to keep your card or going back down to web.com and then delivering a successful year to get your card right back or going to Q school and getting done. And I think it just signifies toughness and some resilience. And I'm wondering if you can speak to the importance or just how you, you feel like you developed that resilience to come through and stay tough in those difficult moments throughout, especially that early part of your career. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hard to say where that comes from. I think that there's a reason people get to where they're at and I think you've got it or you don't. And I think as coaches, you guys can talk about the it factor. Like what is the it factor? Well, a guy just has it. And I think a lot of that mental toughness is along the same lines. I think you've got it or you don't. I've seen lots of people and I grew up with a lot of kids that could hit it really good and play really good, but they just couldn't get their heads where they needed to be to take it to another level, take it to the next level. I mean, it's a, it's a funny thing. I really don't know. I just know that I've always had that determination that if I was going to do something, I was going to be, try to be the best at it. And that's whether that was playing bingo or like doing the astronomy stuff and, and figuring out, you know, putting my gun together and figuring out how to shoot long range. I didn't have any help. I didn't ask for any help from anybody. Same with the astronomy. 
And then I just started to practice and learn and, and work on it. And I think that's, that's part of it is you've got to have that determination that you want to be one of the best and see if you can go do it. And it's, it's hard for everybody. It's hard to do that. It takes a lot of time and work. And I think sometimes that scares people a little bit. As I'm listening to that and putting myself in the shoes of maybe a parent of a young uh, junior golfer or college golfer and looking at ways that I can kind of influence some of what you're talking about there, that, that it factor, that characteristic, and maybe it is innate, but I'm wondering if there's anything that you can point back to. And, and we kind of skipped over your origin story and your early involvement in golf, but whether that be through supportive parents or coaches at a young age, is there anything that maybe nurtured some of that it factor in you that you can look back and reflect on? I had a dad that was really good and he was shooting the same scores as the guys that played on TV. And I knew that if I had somebody to look up to that I could play against, that I was striving to beat. And I had that fire inside to go, gosh, I'm going to beat my dad someday. You know, it took me till I was 15 years old to do it. And by then I was already a really good player. But I mean, that's just how good my dad was. So I just kept banging away on it. And I kept working hard. And I said, man, once I do it, I'm going to do it some more. And I mean, once I beat him, I started beating him a lot. And, you know, I'm, I'm growing up where my oldest now is going to be 10 this summer. And that was about the time I started to play. So all I'm trying to do in the very beginning, it was like, let's go out and hit golf balls and have fun. We'd go get a drink and he'd get us, you know, a soda and, you know, some M&Ms and we'd go out and have a good time and hit golf balls and have fun. And now that he's starting to get a little older, I still want him to have fun, but I'm starting to hammer in like, Hey, you know, you've taken some lessons and we need to start doing the correct things and applying the things that we're learning when we go out and play. So now I've started to be more, I'm more tough on him, not crazy tough, but I'm, I'm, I'm more tough on him. Hey, look at the golf ball before you start your swing, you know, do this, do that. There's little things that, you know, him and his coach are working on and he sure likes to listen to him more than me. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think we can all relate to yeah, that. I think so. But you know, I've been working with him inside on the putting mat that I just got. And, you know, I've invested in his stuff. I I cut, you know, I bought all the club fittings or not club fitting, but I, I bought a shaft cutter. I bought a bunch of grips. I bought a bunch of tape. I've been making him golf clubs and I've been making, and I've been getting his putter right where it needs to be lengthwise and not just these like, you know, kid sets. I mean, I, he's hitting one of my old sets of blades right now. Might be a little heavy for him, but shit, I didn't learn any different. I didn't have kids clubs. I just, I had cut down a set of pings. You know what I mean? Made them work. Yeah, you just did. You get, I think you get strong swinging them. Yeah. Your conversation so far is littered, littered with a do-it-yourself kind of experience. Hey, I, I learned that I can do these things and I learned through my own experience, trial and error and figuring things out. But I also read the impact or importance probably is a better word to use that you placed on having two things, a peer group. And even to this day, you talk about the importance of a peer group of competing, even when you're not competing, going out and playing in money games. And then the second thing that I want to touch on is role models. When you were 13 years old, well-reported, you played with David Ogren. And then uh, a period of time after that, David sent you a letter that you still reflect on Frequently, I guess you can tell the story yourself, but so touch on these two things, touch on the importance of having a peer group that you're competing against. That's helping you sharpen the ax and that being the experience that teaches you that you can succeed when there's pressure. And then the second piece is role models, those around you that can lift you up and support you to uh, further establish or strengthen that confidence. There's some 
pros that live here in town and we'll get together and play and compete. And we had a big idea to do that at, with all this COVID stuff going on. But now they've shut down all the golf courses. Can't really do that. But yeah, I've got a good group of guys at home. They're fun. We have a good time. I always stack the bet against me <laughs> and make it as hard as possible to win, uh, win money. Cause they're not on the, I don't play They're not playing on the same level as me. I've got a couple of guys that can play pretty good, but yeah, you've got to make it tough. And if it's not tough and you know, maybe you're not learning anything and, but you still got to make it fun. You're out there grinding and beating your head against the wall out there against the best in the world, you know, week in and week out. And it's nice to come home and cut loose and play with your friends. But at the same time, I'm not just going to go out there and, you know, give it a half effort. You got to keep trying to push yourself. You got to keep working and got to keep trying to get better. As far as role models go, I did play a lot of golf with David Ogren. He did send me that letter when I was 13 years old, told me how bright my future could be and what he saw me doing by the time I was 30 years old. I think he might've missed it by a few years, but, (laughs) but he saw, he saw it in me and he, he really nurtured that. And, you know, I really appreciated that. Something he didn't have to do. He's very, he's very, selfless person and i think he uh he just really enjoyed doing that we played a lot of golf and he wrote this really cool letter and i've still got it so that was that was very cool somebody that was out actually doing it and being successful at it took the time to tell you that you could be so much better one of the more common questions that we get from Altus clients and listeners is how do I spin it like a tour player? Well, the first step is to treat your equipment like a tour player, and that means that you've got the right golf ball and you've got fresh grooves. Visit Vokey.com to see the spin research that Bob Vokey and his team have conducted to better understand how grooves wear over time. After 75 to 100 rounds of golf, you owe it to yourself to test your grooves to make sure that they're still getting maximum spin from your wedges. Find a fitter at Vokey.com for a spin test soon. As I heard you tell the story about having to wait till you were 15 years old to finally beating your dad, and then once you did, you did it a lot. It kind of mirrors the experience in your career where you had 170 some odd events, and then you finally won, and it brought in a lot. And as I did that research and remembered how quickly the succession of those first wins was, it kind of reminded me of the four minute mile. And Roger Bannister is the guy who no one, everyone thought it was impossible to run a sub four minute mile. And then once he did it, thousands of people have done it and it kind of removed that psychological barrier that it wasn't possible. So I'm curious is after that first win, if there was a moment where he said, Oh man, I I can actually do this. And it changed how either you approach things or how you saw yourself on the golf course that contributed to the beginning of that unbelievable run that started in 2014. Yeah. I think there's a lot to that. If you don't know if something has never been done before. You don't know if you can do it. And I hadn't won on the PJ tour. So once I did it, I knew I could do it. And then you win three out of eight tournaments. It's wild. It's hard to wrap your head around. I think one thing that stood out was that I'd made some changes in the way I was going to think about playing and how I attacked. And I realized you just don't have to be super on to win. You can be just good enough. And then when you get in that position, I've never in my life been afraid of when I'm on. I think a lot, there's, there's people that they struggle with that a little bit. I've always had, I always think it's harder to make the cut when you're not, when you're two back and you got, you know, eight to go and you got to try to make a cut and you're not, you're not on obviously. Right. So I, I remember, what was it? I think it was, 
it was after winning somewhere. I was trying to make the cut the next week in Vegas, and I was more nervous making some little five footer than I was <laughs> like winning the golf tournament the week before. It, it was it's just wild. Like I don't get it. I can remember another instance where I was more nervous making a six footer at the playoff event after I'd won the PGA Championship. Like when I made that putt, PGA, like wasn't nervous at all. I don't know why, but I just wasn't. I just knew I hadn't missed, and there was zero chance I was going to miss that putt. And Deutsche Bank, I remember having that six-footer, and it was really windy that day, and you were like, is my stroke off, or is it, you know, what's going on? And just just that doubt creeps in, and you just, it's everything. But it's like we talked about, you go back to your fundamentals. You know, I've done this. It's repetition. It's just another putt. Knock it in. And that's something you're pl- you're playing through like rec- uh, like a recorder in your head? It's another putt? You've done this before, yeah? Oh, yeah. When I won the PGA, I had that putt on the last hole, and I'd been doing some different putting stuff, and I had that putt, and, and I was like, well, we're going to see how good this works right now. We're going to see how good this, <laughs> right this out right I mean, now. Right, right now, we're going to see how good this thing works. And yeah. I, it just went right in the middle, but uh, it's good to have those little gut check moments and... I've done a lot of stuff in golf, you know, as far as going up and down and went on every tour and had a pretty full career. And you know, I know once I talked about once, you know, you can do something. I knew once I won that major, I was like, I can do that again. I know I can. And then you get kicked down pretty hard right after that. So that's a never ending battle. And it's, this is just another one of the toughness that I'm going to win. So yeah, indeed. I eventually want to circle back to the the final shot on your career highlight reel, the one you would close with. But before we go there, I also read that uh, you sent J day a text after you won, after he made Eagle and you had to close out with a par on the final hole. And uh, that text, something in that text thanked him for pushing you harder to help you become better. Is that true? Or is that just an anecdote that got inserted there that's, that's false? No, it is true. I've, I've sent stuff to people, you know, when I haven't won and, you know, that was awesome, whatever. And, you know, I, I sent him a text because we were staying literally right next to each other in our buses. And I said, uh, I just sent him a text late that night. I said, uh, hey, man, I, I truly mean this, and I hope you take this the right way. But I said, I really appreciate what you did on the last hole today, making that eagle. Because if you hadn't have done that, I might not have learned something today about myself. You know, it, it would have been easy to make a bogey and walk out of there with a win. He, you know, really forced the issue. So, you know, I thanked him for that. I just, that wasn't a life experience. You know, I got to make that putt on the last hole to win the major, you know, just pretty wild. So I, I thanked him for that. And I, I hope he, I hope he took it the right way. Yeah, I'm sure he didn't. I guess the lesson to be learned there or amongst the many lessons to be learned is that you should be always be looking for things to challenge you, to test you. And uh, then that is serves as further evidence and proof. If a person needs proof, which we all like evidence, we all like proof that you can overcome in those challenging situations. So circle back for us to the final shot, the one that would sit on your highlight reel as the close. I mean, as of right now, it can go back to that golf tournament. When we were on 17 and we saw him miss birdie and we had a two-shot lead, I said, uh, and we're staying out there about 80 yards from the green, and we said, uh, if we make birdie here, we win this golf tournament. It's over. It's just, we're going to win. This is our last hole. We're going to win. So I flip a wedge in there, just a little left of the flag. It was perfect weight. And I've got that left to right putt, not my favorite putt in the world. And I get that sucker to go. And to me, that was my, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. To me, that was me winning the PGA Championship right there. I didn't think anything else crazy was going to happen after that, right? That was our goal right there. It's like, we make birdie. I make this putt. 
it's over. And I made that putt and I knew how important it was and how significant it was to make that and to be able to do it was just unreal. So as of right now, that would be my final shot. It's interesting. Can I pull on that thread just a little bit? Because commonly in psychological circles or sports psychologists would talk about uh, reducing the significance of a given situation to help you overcome it. But from the sounds of it, you were realistically representing that this was a huge moment and that almost helped you succeed more. Can you kind of help me like square those two? Yeah. So, I mean, I work with Dr. Julie Elian and she's always been, I mean, there's always, and she's big on, it's all about the process and you got to do that. And this is why you practice. And, but she's like, you can't be afraid of big moments. There's lots of them everywhere, not just in golf, but in life and you make big decisions. And if you are scared of those situations, you're probably not going to do well in them. So she's always been like, it's okay for big thoughts to pop into your head. And it's okay to wrap your head around that, but only give it so much thought, only give it 10 seconds. You know, like I can win this golf tournament. And I thought about that after I hold out on 10 from the bunker. I was like, damn, this might be my day. I can win the PGA championship today. And she's totally fine with that. But you've got to jump back out of that box and get back to work. But understanding, you know, the gravity of your situation and being okay with it, I think is huge. You alluded to a little bit of the ups and downs that are inevitable that come from when you've been at the top of the game for a really long time, um, that happened to everybody. And as you look back at the experience of getting sick, which is not something that happens to everyone and navigating through all those difficulties, has there been, you know, similar to when you said, I'm actually glad Jason Day made Eagle on the last hole, that that was a silver lining as odd as it sounds, because no one's happy about getting sick and especially in such a serious way. But were there any lessons that came out of that experience that make you appreciate it? Uh, because it, it taught you a lesson that you wouldn't have otherwise learned. You know, I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. It's an interesting disease and the way it hits you. And I think people that are close to me know that, you know, just by looking at me that I'm, that I was different, um, to the outside world, it might not look that way, but I mean, I was very sick and it took its toll on me you know, physically, and we're all starting to learn now more mentally. Um, they've had chronic Lyme patients give their bodies to science, and they found that their brain is uh, basically like a concussed brain, like a CTE patient. Lots of Lyme patients mimic um, brain pattern of uh, somebody that's got dementia. I mean, it's it's some wild stuff. So I think there's been some fine motor stuff for me that's really struggled. I mean, I, I almost got like the chipping yips pretty bad there for a while. And just, I still have that feeling here and there, but I think my brain is healing. And I think that the biggest part of my game that struggled since I've been sick is the putting. And I don't think it's a confidence thing. I think it's just something's, something's a little off and, but I'm going to figure it out and we keep working on it. And it's been an interesting ride. It's not one I wish I'd had to take, but especially with the trajectory that we were going. That determination that is embedded in the end of that response, the determination you described very early in our conversation, makes me want to shift to current events from a technical or even a practice standpoint. What does the work look like these days? And you can dive down the rabbit hole as deep or as shallow as you want in terms of what is what is it that you're doing to recover the best performing self? Yeah, I mean, I've, I started working with... Uh, 
Matt Killen over the end of the summer last year. And I, li- I really liked what he had to say. I felt on a coaching standpoint, I really understood what he wanted and understood what he was talking about. And we've got checkpoints and this is how we're going to f- look at this. And this is how we're going to tell if we're getting better. So it was easy for me to wrap my head around and I'm pretty quick to change. I can, you know, I can make the body do stuff pretty fast. And I, I've just really enjoyed that. We're trying to take less flip out of the golf swing, getting the left wrist and to kind of bow down on the way down get the shaft to lay down a little bit more where I can turn my body and it just it, it just squares up a lot better instead of me relying on timing and flip so much which has kind of been my whole career and working with Butch he was he tried to get a lot of that out too and everybody's got different ways of doing it you know he wanted me a lot wider 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 wide everywhere so I was turning more turning more and and with Matt he was like I like a lot of the stuff you do but we you know if I can just get you you know, with this club face where it needs to be so you can turn, I think you're going to find a lot more consistency. Putting, we've been working on that. A little longer backstroke, a little more hit, not so like short and long. So I think wrapping my head around something new is good for me, trying to learn something new because I'm pretty good at that instead of just being stagnant because stagnant wasn't working. You know, the things that I'd been doing just weren't working. So time to do something different and let's go wrap our head around it. I mean, I looked at a bunch of different putter styles. I mean, I even toyed with, I was going left hand low and, you know, looking at stuff like that. And I practiced with that for a while over the winter. I took the whole winter off and just grinding on new stuff. And can this feel good? Can I make this work? So just trying to wrap my head around new stuff, I think is, is the key to getting out of it. Right. A couple of questions come to mind as you're describing that. The first is your malleability, the your ability to integrate and change pretty quickly. And maybe the answer to this question is embedded in what you've already said. How do you, and the question being, how do you ensure that you don't shift too far in a direction you thought was positive, but then in, in itself turns negative? And is that just the checkpoints that you're, uh, you're monitoring in absence of having eyes on you? I think it's the checkpoints. I mean, I'm not Alex Norn. You're not going to see me out there doing the stuff that he does. I, I work on it and then I forget about it. I'm not out there constantly grinding on it because if you, you go out and work on it on the range day after day, you know, after so many days, it should start to be ingrained. And when you go out and play, you just got to go play, go play golf, go get in the hole. Like it doesn't matter what it looks like. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're like, oh, I don't have to think about it anymore. Here it is. It's there, you know, and that's the end goal, I think, with any kind of change is get to where you don't think about it anymore. Inside of your practice, you mentioned a phrase, know that I'm getting better. And it's nice to know that we're getting better. I think we should all be looking for those signals, that feedback that tells us, yes, I can check positions, whether it's with eyes on me or with a video camera. Or, yeah, track man. Do you do a lot of skill-based work in your practice or is it is most of the time in isolation, whether that's range, putting, green, short game area, technical, and then you do your skills work on the golf course? I do some stuff on the track, man, where I'm trying to hit numbers. I think the wedge stuff, you know, inside of 100 yards, you know, really making sure like, okay, I'm going to hit this one 70, you know, and working on those distances. That's really good feedback and got some stuff I do around the, around the hole. We did some gated stuff where, you know, you can tell if you're getting the ball started online. And so just these little, like, those are the checkpoints that, that we like to hit. And obviously there's like face and, and path angles that are correct for what I'm trying to do. And I can tell if I'm doing those. And if I'm not doing them, it's usually because I'm, I start to swing too far up on it and not hitting down on it enough. It's just, there's so these little, little things that he's taught me what to look for when I'm by myself, right? Because if I don't know how to do it and fix it myself, I mean, you're not going to have somebody there holding your hand the whole time. You got to be able to do it on your own. 
as you're speaking about that, I'm thinking TrackMan is really good at measuring the event, the moment of contact, but it doesn't necessarily tell you how that event's created. And you're so talented as the best players in the world are so talented at making an event, a certain path relationship and face relationship happen with quite varied movements. And so just for the listeners out there, I wanted to ensure that they're getting the point that um, if they're dealing only with the event of impact, they need to have um, certain checkpoints as you have to hit to make sure that they're getting there in the right matter oh for sure it's there's no right or wrong way to do it i don't think i mean you can watch all the golf swings of the top players in the world and i mean everybody looks different it's it's bizarre but it's about those last i don't know foot before you hit it and maybe the foot after you hit it i, I don't know it's i was just kind of getting to the point where i was like i don't care what my damn golf swing looks like i just want the ball to go where i want it to go yeah <laughs> want to behave right <laughs> yeah behave ball like if i want you to cut damn it you better cut you know uh so i kind of quit looking at that and you know matt's been helping me with some speed stuff and you know working on using the ground a little better which has been interesting because i've never really done any of that and uh it's been fun i've, I've had a good time working on it and practicing and so that's good right if you're enjoying what you're doing to move away from the technical aspect, I want to go back to something that you mentioned uh, that maybe attributed to some of that good play or turning the corner a little bit and uh, like becoming like one of the best players in the world. You mentioned figuring out a way to still win and still have a good finish and a good week, even when you didn't have your best stuff. And to me, that's just that means that your tactics got better. And I'm curious if you've got some advice for those listeners, if you can describe what you feel like are the worst strategy mistakes that you feel like uh, maybe are common among a young professional. I looked at my stats and par five scoring was obviously good. I mean, it was good. And par three scoring was pretty average. And my par four scoring was horrible. I mean, way over par for the year. I was like 80 over or something in like 2011 or 12. And I'm sitting there looking at that and I'm going, that's pathetic, right? <laughs> 80 over. I was like, if I just tried to make a par on every par four I played, I mean, that's 80 shots over the year. And I started going back and looking at it and I'm like, I'd have won a golf tournament that year just off that number. And I said, God, am I just playing too aggressive on the par fours? You know, get it in play, knock it on the green. If you make a 30 footer, great. You know, if you hit it to five feet, great, but just go make some pars and see what happens. You know, I mean, it's going to be 80 shots that you saved over the course of a year, you know, at, at the right time. I mean, that's gigantic. So I really wrapped my head around that. And I also looked at par three scoring. So whoever led the par four scoring was like number one on the money list every year. And you hit a bad drive on a par five. You can always chip out. You're going to make par birdie. You know, you're not making too many bogeys on par fives unless you do something really stupid. And then the par threes. Those guys that were on the par four leaders, you know, they were they were right up there on the par threes too. Um, not many guys shoot under par for the year on par three. So again, par it just really showed me how good of a score par is. And so I just started wrapping my head around that. Maybe I need to go back to it. But that was a big deal for me. It was really wrapping my head around that, how good of a score par is. And you think like and then, you know, that got me back to well, I feel like I gotta be so got to go so low on tour to win. I'm like, well, no, you don't, you know, you go shoot three under a day, you take care of the par fours and the par threes, and you're going to make a birdie here or there. You're going to make a bogey, but take care of the par fives and boom, you're shooting three under a day. Managing your game is such a critical skill that most developing players think of as a soft skill and really should be one of the first that's taught. 
Can we move to scoreboard watching? Do you like to know where you're at, whether that's a Friday and you're near the lead or around the cut line or Sunday you're teeing off and you're in the middle of the round? Um, scoreboard watch or not? Yeah, I, I do. I, I, I don't know how you can't not see it. I think guys say they can't see it. You know, they're just they're standing there, they're eye level. I don't I don't know how you can't not see it or look at it, but I know when I'm playing good. Uh, I know when I'm playing bad. So, yeah, I mean, I, I look at it. I like to know what's going on. I mean, I just think that situational awareness like is huge. I think that you can do amazing things when you know you have to. Would you want to come down to the end of a golf tournament and win it and not know that you'd won? I mean, it's stupid. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I remember hearing something about Michael Jordan said he never watched what the score was and he just knew that he needed to make every play the best play he could make it. And I, I agree to that to an extent, but I think you got to know what's going on and how boring is that? Like I said, like if you come down the last hole, you make a putt, make a, five, a four footer to win. You don't know it's to win. It's like, well, what the hell did you learn? You didn't learn anything. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, enjoy life. Enjoy the moment. <laughs> like, what's the point? You mentioned that when you're having a good round, you've never had an issue with keeping the pedal down as some players encounter an issue with that. The flip side of that, that we try to build a library of maybe strategies that the players listening can fall back on when you start out around poorly um, and you're off to a bad start and you need to salvage it somehow. What's your mindset or self-talk look like to kick you back into gear in those rounds? I know I've got firepower, right? So I never know when a three and three birdies in a row is going to come or you go birdie par birdie birdie, or you make a good birdie on a par four and you got a par five after that, where you can connect these together. Like there's, you just never know when something good's going to happen. So just be ready for it. Right. Bad stuff happens, happens to everybody, but you know what? You're out here for a reason because you're good and you just bide your time, wait for something to happen. You know, I think I won, I lost in a playoff Patrick Reed at hunt at the tournament champions a few years ago. I played my ass off and it was great. I thought I'd won the golf tournament. I thought I did. I needed to do exactly what I needed to do to win. And anyways, ended up losing a playoff. Go out in Sony the next week. And I was defending champ. I remember bogeying the first hole and I was so bummed. And I was just like <laughs> lost in a damn playoff. You come out and you bogey the first hole. Like you're like, what are you doing? I'm like, all right, pump the brakes. You're playing great. Like, you know, like let's do a little reality check here and, you know, end up birdieing the next hole and, you know, ended up going on to win the golf tournament by nine shots. So it's like, you just never know when the run's coming. And your experience taught you that. But for those that are out there without the experience, they're likely to cascade from that first comment. What are you doing out here bogeying the first hole into bogeying the second? So having some way to stop that bleeding is, is super important. Yeah, I think you've just got to be able to say like, hey, man, like I'm I'm a good player. Like I can string up, you know, two or three in a row or I can make one birdie. And that's going to it can completely flip the way your brain's thinking like, oh, 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 yeah. Oh, there's a birdie. Oh, there's a good shot. Start with a good shot, you know. Very few players that play golf get to play at a PGA Tour event or spend their life playing the PGA Tour. Very, very few players, even fewer players, get to play major championships. And yet again, even fewer players get to play in a Ryder Cup. So the question is, do you have a favorite event and where does the Ryder Cup stack up in terms of events, favorite events you've played? Well, I mean, the Ryder Cup, it's a completely different animal than anything I've ever done. It's its way more nerve-wracking than playing in major championships. It's and there's zero on the line. You know what I mean? I mean, there's no money, there's nothing, but it, it can be a big check mark in your career on whether how you did. And my first one at Glen Eagles with Tom Watson, he 
seemed to take a liking to me. And I remember before we even went, he was like, you need to be ready to play all five because I think you're up for it. I said, yes, sir. So <laughs> I played with, I played with Fowler and I mean, the amount of pressure is, it's incredible. Um, it really is. And then the second one, you know, at Hazeltine, we ended up winning that one. And I remember playing with Zach. I think it was the first, second match we played together. We played alternate shot. And we're walking down the first hole. I said, would you agree that there's 20 times more pressure right now than when you won your majors at any given point? He said, oh, yeah, that's not even close. And we're just out there playing golf with two other people. And it means absolutely nothing in your grand scheme of your career as far as, you know, working and making money. And we're out here doing this for fun for everybody else's enjoyment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. It really is. I mean, I, one of my best performances ever was my singles against Lee Westwood at Glen Eagles. I mean, I was, he played his ass off. He was five under through 16 holes and I was eight. And I mean, the poor guy didn't stand a chance. It was wild. Do you think that it was one of the best performances of your career because you're playing for more than just yourself? You're playing for your teammates? Oh, a hundred percent. I remember when we teed off, we were big underdogs going in the last day and I was about third to the last out and I tee off and the board is really red. I mean, we're, we've got a lot of good scores up and we're, it looks like we're, we're leading in a ton of matches. And I'm like, damn, it's getting, it's getting real now. We got a chance, right? And I'm in the back, so I got to get this going. I remember Lee hit a close one in there. He had a gimme on the first hole and I hit one in there six feet. I was like, all right, dude, time to get this party going. Like it's now or never. And I just, and I buried it. And then I just kept burying them <laughs> <laughs> and throwing fist it was, bumps. Yeah. It was, it was a ton of fun. I mean, the Ryder Cup's incredible because you'll never see more chip-ins in your life in any golf tournament. Like it doesn't make sense. I chipped in twice in my first Ryder Cup match ever bunker shot. And then I chipped in on the 16th hole. It's like, how do you do that? You don't do that in golf like ever. It just doesn't happen very often. Right. Especially in big moments. Those rise to the moment occasions, the pressure brings out the best, the narrowness of focus. And I haven't even been there, but the more you talk about it, the more other players who interview talk about it, you know that something about high stress situations is a contributing factor to pulling all of that out, which just, I guess, is more evidence, more ammunition to suggest that any listener out there trying to do difficult things, find more difficult things, which is the message you've been sharing throughout the podcast. And that's a perfect example of situational awareness, like leaderboard watching. Like you don't have a choice. Like you know what's happening when you're playing in the Ryder Cup. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I have to make this putt. I have to do this. I have to chip this in. If you didn't know you had to do it, you might not do it. Jimmy, you've been amazing with your time. Let's close with a question that we like to close with quite often. And that's what advice would you give to the 13-year-old version of yourself? I didn't take my first lesson until I was a late junior in college. I was self-taught me and my dad, right? And my first coach really taught me a lot. And I think, you know, if you and your parents have the means, seek out good instruction and listen to it. I think with with all that's going on today, um, I think you're behind the curve a little bit if you're not uh, getting that good stuff and play other sports, be an athlete. That's awesome. Thanks, Jimmy, for your time. Really appreciate it. Happy Easter to you and the family. And hopefully we get to see you sooner rather than later, mate. Which mean, we're playing, right? Yeah, you guys too. Be safe. Cheers, Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, guys.
Thanks for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about Altus Performance, go check out altusperformance.com. We're also pretty active on Instagram, so follow at Altus Performance, and you can also follow on Twitter at Team Altus. If you haven't done so, please hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast, leave a review, share it with others, and be sure to stay tuned to future episodes of Earn Your Edge. Thanks for listening.